0: it is my enormous privilege tonight to introduce malcolm duncan i've heard such a lot about him (laughs) and i know tonight is my treat but i've got a feeling it's going to be a treat for all of us malcolm is pastor of mortimer west end chapel i thought that was a funny name for a church until i discovered from somebody that mortimer west ends a place is that right it's a village yes it's a village between hampshire and berkshire Uh, You wouldn't believe it to listen to him because he does sound like he comes from that wonderful emerald part of the country where it never stops raining, just (laughs) over the sea from me. And if you look hard, you'll see the mildew on us. (laughs) He's also chaplain of the Warham Trust, and he's the founder and director of Church and Community, which enables Christians to engage in some of the most difficult parts of our country. What a remarkable man, and boy, do we need you. He's also married to Debbie and they have four children and I'm going to pray for him and for us right now. Our wonderful Heavenly Father, we are all ears because we don't just want to listen or hear, we want to learn, we want to grow. We want to change. Yes, we want to be more like our wonderful rabbi and master and God, if that's possible. So will you anoint this man tonight that from the very depths of his being, rivers of living water will gush out, pouring out across all our desert places to refresh, restore, heal, and revive And as you do that, Lord, will you bless him and bless his wonderful family as much as we know you will bless and change us tonight. For the glory of our God and Saviour. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Michelle.
0: I don't know about you, but I
1: absolutely do not want to get 50 years from today and be explaining to my children or my grandchildren, should God spare me, that why he moved by power in Brazil and in um, southern Africa and in India and in Bangladesh. I don't want to be explaining why he moved in Alaska, why he moved amongst the Induits, why he brought a huge move of his spirit to Central Europe and why nothing happened here. I am encouraged when I hear stories of revival I am refreshed and inspired when I hear stories of God moving in other parts of the world. But deep within me, when I hear those stories, something cries out and it says, Lord, why not here? Why not in my generation? Why not in my community? Why not in sleepy little Tadley and Newbury and Reading and Basingstoke? Why not in Berkshire and Hampshire? Do you think it's possible? Are you convinced it's possible? Do you believe that God can move from John O'Groats all the way down to Southampton? From Hull all the way across to Derry? From the north of Ireland all the way down to County Cork in the south of Ireland? Do you believe that God can raise up a generation of men and women, followers of him, who will be fearless, who will step into the dark, who will proclaim the truth, who will pray for the sick, who will seek his power? Do you believe it's possible? Yes. So do I. Good evening by the way. Nice to see you. Did you hear about Brendan? Can I tell you a story about Brendan and Siobhan? Brendan was lying in bed. They had a dog, a neighbour who had a dog who never stopped barking. Every night when they lay trying to get to sleep. Siobhan one night said, Brendan, I've had enough of that dog. Go and do something about it. He said, all right, Siobhan, I'm going to go and do something about it. She heard him get out of bed. She heard him slam the bedroom door. She heard him stomp down the stairs. She heard him walk out, slam the back door, jump over the fence, squelch as he got caught in the top of it. She heard the dog next door yelp as he grabbed it. Then silence. Then she heard the, bed, the kitchen door slam again. She heard him stomp up the stairs. You're not supposed to laugh at your own joke. She heard him get into bed, and she said, "He said that'll sort it out." She said, "Good." About five minutes later, she said, Brendan, what did you do?" He said, "I put the dog in our garden. See how he likes it." <laughs> it 's a way I tell them <laughs> it 's lovely to be with you, and I do passionately believe I do passionately believe that revival can come to this nation. I do passionately believe that God calls us as His disciples, as His followers to make a difference in the world, but i 've spent almost twenty five years praying for a revival that i don 't think is going to come i prayed i 've been praying for a revival that would fill churches and increase our singing and make our choir sound fantastic and our music groups really good. I don't think that's the kind of revival that God is going to give us. I think the revival that God will send us is a revival of justice and righteousness and truth. I think it's a revival that will see crime reduced in local communities, that will see young people reach their potential, that will see old people known by their neighbors. It will be a revival that can affect every community from the people that live or sitting here tonight in the very top of the bleachers all the way across to you in the shalleys, a revival that can change our communities, that can make them healthy, prosperous, safe places to live. If God gave us the kind of revival that many of us have been praying for, we wouldn't be able to cope with it. Just under 20% of the people in this country could get into a church building if every church building was full. What will we do with the other 80%? Tell them to come back and work shifts? (laughs) I think we need to do and think differently about what it means to be disciples, what it means to be disciples, what it means to be called to change the world. And I think Matthew 10 gives us a wonderful, wonderful blueprint. A couple of years ago, I was in the other Spring Harvest. <sighs> Having dinner in one of those very posh restaurants there with a friend. You know the ones I mean. You have to go to the pub, give them your table number and order your food. So I went and ordered for my friend and I. And the man on the other side of the bar said, Table number? Clearly had a good day. <laughs> and I said, idiot. Idiot. He said, what did you call me? I said, I didn't call you anything. He said, table number. I said, idiot. What's, what's wrong with the idiot? He said, I am not an idiot. I said, I didn't call you an idiot. I just said the table number was idiot," But he wouldn't believe me. And the rest of the evening was spent with food being thrown at me. I didn't drink very much. I thought maybe he'd in it, you know, and all that stuff. But what happened was he didn't hear what I was saying. He thought he heard what I was saying. He didn't hear what I was saying. And I don't think we necessarily have heard well what God has said about mission. I think we think we've heard very often. We think that it's our job to lower the, the portcullis gate of the church and to deep out into our communities and grab a couple of people and pull them back in and put the gate up and make sure we're safe and every now and again we'll do it and we'll put a notch in the belt and another notch on the belt and another notch in the belt and we think we're building the kingdom and we've allowed ourselves to believe it as mission is when people who are dissatisfied with other churches come and say we like you and we do our numbers at the end of the year and we say praise the Lord look at the growth that he has brought to us there's standing room only here. Meanwhile, our towns and our cities and our communities and our neighborhoods are sinking under the weight of hopelessness and despair. And we pat ourselves in the back. Matthew 10 is a blueprint for mission which is entirely different. And over the course of the next few minutes, I want to challenge you and encourage you and pray that God will touch us through it. Here's the first thing, verses one to four. I, I have to tell you, If I was putting together a group of people to lead a worldwide movement, I would not choose this bunch. Would you put them together? Read the verses carefully and you have a motley, motley crew of people. Essenes and Sadducees who were very sad because they did not believe in any form of afterlife. And Pharisees, people who came from various social and political and economic traditions, shoved together, not in an easy kind of waltz through the next three and a half years, but in a cauldron of fear and oppression and difficulty and hassle and insult. The oldest of them was probably only 17, 18, 19, 20 at the most. Ignorant fishermen, Not scholars, not academics, not people who had sat exams in first century Israel, not rabbis, not religious leaders, ordinary folk, peculiar, weird, strange. There's Peter, that paragon of patience, the man that always reflects before speaking, considers all the options, has a plan, says to the other 11 disciples, Let's talk this through. Or is he really Peter, the, o- the guy that only opens his mouth to make room for the other foot? Thaddeus, Matthew that we heard Jeff talking about last night. I get all of those actually, I understand that. Don't forget by now Jesus had about 100, maybe 90, 100 followers. So these 12 apostles, which they're described in Luke 6 in this calling, these are the the guys that are going to make it happen. I get most of them. I understand it. Although I wouldn't put them together. But I really don't get Judas. But I don't get Judas cuz I know the end of the story. I don't get Judas cuz I know he's the one that betrayed Jesus. But if you read the passion narratives very carefully, Judas was the one that actually did the betrayal, but on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He said, one of you will betray me. And if you read carefully what John says, all 12 disciples said, Lord, is it me? Which means they'd all thought about it. Why would they have to ask that if they hadn't thought about it? I wouldn't put this 12 together, but then, as beautiful as you are, I wouldn't put us together either. Would you go into your local church and say, look at this amazing band of highly intellectual, sharpened tools of wisdom and grace? Whoa. Would you tell people that you heard? What would you do? How would you feel if you went back and uh, were talking to people when you got back and one of them said to you, that second night of spring harvest, what was postman Pat like? <laughs> How did he sound? Was Jess with them? But God takes Motley Cruz, God takes unusual people. God takes the ordinary, the despised, the neglected, the forgotten, the vulnerable, the plain James, the John Doe's, the people that the rest of the world say are useless, worthless, or needless. And he makes us into people who can change the world. He does something with us. He lifts our aspirations. He changes our vision. He gives us fresh eyes. He lets us see that we can make a difference. Perhaps that is the greatest gift. That he gives us in our salvation, looking into our eyes and saying to us, John, you're not so much dominated by your past as you are by your future. This is the God that calls us into mission, a God that calls a mixed bunch. So if you think that your church is perfect, leave it, because you're spoiling it. You're the one that's spoiling the whole rest of the bunch. Which one of us has not made a mistake? Which one of us has never thought about walking away? Which one of us this evening has never, ever had to convince ourselves that we must stay because we made a commitment? Which one of us has the right answer to every question? Which one of you has made the right leadership decision every time you've had to make one? And yet we are called. The words that Jesus uses in verses 1 to 4 are interesting. Um, Matthew says he summoned them. He commanded them. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. You see, God looks into our lives and he doesn't see what we see. He sees something much more valuable. He sees much more potential. Look into the eyes of the person next to you and lovingly say to them, you have great potential. That's enough. This encouragement stuff can go far too far, you know. By the way, is there anybody else from Ireland here tonight? All I am going to say is this. March the 21st, oh glorious Glorious day of rugby. Where was England? I didn't hear you. So you weren't first. Who was first? I definitely didn't hear you. Who was first? Thank you very much. Talking about Motley Cruz, that rugby team is one of them secondly not only did he call this motley crew and give them authority but he gave them a purpose he called them to go verses 5 to 11 to go to the lost to proclaim the good news in verse 7 he says the kingdom of heaven has come near listen to these commands they are not optional extras cure the sick raise the dead cleanse the leper cast out demons verse 8 verse 7 and 8 and 9 he says use your words use them carefully but use words Explain to people who I am. Demonstrate through your works who I am. And he says in verse 9, when he says things like, don't charge for what you do. Conduct yourselves well. He says, watch your witness. Some of these things need to be read again by us in the modern church. Particularly those of us in, north, in the northern hemisphere. Particularly those of us in Western Europe and North America those of us that have allowed our Christianity to become cheap commercialism, that have created a burger bar of spirituality where we walk in and say, I'll have a big mac of blessing, please. No pickle of responsibility. No gherkin of serving the poor. And no vinaigrette of having to suffer. We need to read these words again because they're not comfortable words. He calls them, but he sends them. We are called to go. We are called and sent. I've had people lots of times say to me um, through the years, Malcolm, you will always tell us as local churches to remain involved in our communities. Jesus says very clearly here. When you go into a community, if they don't welcome you, shake the dust off your feet and go. How does that sit with people like me? Who say to local churches weekend and week out, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep keep serving, keep loving. How does that fit with a spring harvest theme that says go back and plow yourself in, pour yourself out, keep giving? Here's how it fits. These people were pioneers. These were men who were sent as apostles, which means sent ones. To go to places where the good news had never been shared, where the, the love and the grace of God had never been experienced. Most of us are part of local churches. And local churches are called to be settled places of witness. On the back of a heritage of sometimes a thousand years or fifteen hundred years of Christians serving and loving Jesus, we keep giving. We keep serving. We keep going. You may not be called to go and cure the sick and raise the dead and heal the leper, but you are called to serve. You are called to love. You are called to pour yourself out. We are called as a motley crew to go. Some of you are pioneers. People who long to do something else. Some of you are settlers. People who long to see your local community transformed. Whichever you are, may you know God's grace and strength. Now comes the vinaigrette. Verses 16 to 33. No one ever said this was going to be easy. Although sometimes you'd think it was. We've turned our spirituality and our Christianity and our discipleship of Jesus into a love fest. Let's all get together and love each other. Let's love our communities and all they'll say, oh, giddy, 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 giddy. We've been waiting for so long for somebody just like you to love us. No, they won't. They'll laugh at you. They'll mock you. They'll hassle you. They'll marginalize you. They'll treat you like wolves devouring sheep according to the words of Jesus. He says, be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. He says, you'll be handed over in verse 17. You'll be flogged. Anybody signing up to this? You'll be dragged before courts, verse 18. Your brother will betray brother. Your father will betray child. You'll be hated by all. You'll be persecuted and you'll have to run for your life. Wow! (laughs) None of us embrace suffering like that not unless our names are Irenaeus, that was a a joke for those of you that like first century history, not a lot, Uh, Irenaeus was a, a (laughs) that didn't work did it, Irenaeus was a bishop in the first century who was convinced that he was going to be martyred, so much so that he kept sending letters to everybody telling them that he was going to be martyred, he was quite looking forward to it, and he was in the end, anyway. Jesus says in verses 24 to 26 they did it to me so they'll do it to you and maybe you're not physical maybe you're not experiencing real physical threat of your life tonight but I'll bet my bottom dollar some of you are just plain exhausted I am I look bubbly and full of life don't I Speak to the hand, because the face ain't listening. (laughs) Only kidding. May the Lord bless you with the gift of silence, whoever you are. (laughs) Now and forevermore, amen. Some of you are exhausted. You are on your uppers. It's not that you don't want to keep serving. It's not that you don't love people. It's not that you don't want to pour yourself out. It's not that you resist it or resent it. You're just exhausted. That's what happens when you keep giving. It's what happens when you keep serving. It's what happens when day after day you face the same people coming to ask for the same help. We have a pie in the sky notion of mission that gives us this idea that we'll do something and everything will change. All of a sudden, boom, and it's all done. Action and dirty hands and tear stained faces and keeping going is part of the deal, folks. Brother, sister, you will be exhausted, you will be tired out, you will think I can't take another step. Some of you in the spring harvest team feel like that. Coming to the end of six weeks, you think, oh, God, I love May. (laughs) Many church pastors and deacons and elders love Easter, but they really like the week after. (laughs) They love Christmas, but boy, does New Year sound good. (laughs) And many of us tonight are exhausted. We're drained. We're weary. We're tired. And you don't need some kind of sugar-coated gospel that says, don't worry about it, everything will be all right. Stiff up our lip, keep going, there you know, God's with you. Lovely. What we need is honest comfort. There's a great picture in the Bayou Tapestry of Bishop Odo encouraging his troops. And it's a picture of him with a spear sticking it right into their backsides. <laughs> comfort is to give us strength. If you have done anything in your Christian life to help someone else, then you know that what I'm talking about is true. It's hard to be missional. It's hard to keep loving. It's hard to keep serving. So, what keeps you doing it? That's the fourth part of what he says to us. Verses 26 to 33 I'll always be with you. Verse 26 Don't fear them. Verse 26 God sees, God knows. Verse 27, he encourages us to stand up, to step out, and to speak up. Verse 28, keep your eye on God. He knows how many sparrows there are. He knows how many hairs there are in your head. For some of you, that is an easier job than others. <laughs> My dear brother or sister, if you're in that particular department, just remember grass does not grow on a busy street. Verse 29 says he cares for you. Verse 30 to 33, Matthew says that Jesus says, no matter what you go through, I'm right there. No matter how tired you feel, I'm right there. I'm never going to walk away. Earlier on today, I decided that I would look at the verses, just the, the um, verbs in this passage. Listen to them from M- Matthew 10.1. To 33. These are the verbs that are used about you. Called, given authority, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. Sent, to go and to announce that heaven is near, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cure those that have leprosy, to cast out demons. You've been given freely so give away freely. Do not take money. Don't carry a bag. Don't hesitate to accept help. Um, enter a city. Search for someone that loves you. Stay there. Leave when you need to. Enter another. Enter another. Bless the others around you. Take back the blessing if they do not bless you. Shake dust from your feet if you are rejected. Look at me. I'm sending you. Be shrewd. Be harmless, but be aware. You'll be handed over, you'll be flogged, you'll be um, stranded. You'll be arrested. Don't worry. God will give you words. He'll speak through you. Don't be afraid. He'll tell you in stuff in darkness that you should speak in light. He'll whisper in your ear and you should shout it from the hilltops. Don't be afraid. They can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. Fear only God. Don't be afraid because you're valuable. Because you matter. This is a perfect learning cycle, by the way, Matthew 10. Activists, they're sent to do. Uh, Reflectors, they think about what's happening. They come back and talk about it. They're theorists and they learn from it because they're pragmatists. If I use the word Susan Boyle to you, how many of you know that name? Susan Boyle. Anybody know Susan Boyle? I'm going to show you a clip. Then we want—I want to encourage you to respond in prayer. Susan Boyle is 48. She's a plain Jane, ordinary girl from Scotland. She's never been married. She's never even been kissed. And on Saturday night, on Saturday nights, Britain's Got Talent. She walked on stage, and five thousand people laughed at her. Three judges made fun of her. You can't sing. Look at you. She said you wanted to sound like a Leon page. A Leon page. Another page more like. Simon Cowell said to her, so you think you can sing? <laughs> what are you going to sing then? She said, um, I dreamed a dream from Les Miserables rather than Les Miserables. And he went, oh, <laughs> thinking to himself, she can't even pronounce it correctly. He says, you want to be like a Leon page? How come you've... You're not on the West End stage. And she said, because nobody's listened to me singing. Take a look at this clip. I'm going to tell you something that I've never told an audience this size before. For 17 years of my life, every morning, my father woke me up and called me stupid. I was never called by my first name until I was 18. When I became a Christian, he put my death in a national newspaper in Ireland. And he wrote me out of his will. There are some of us sitting here tonight, and we have heard people saying no all our lives. You can't preach, you can't sing, you can't witness, you can't serve, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. You're too plain, you're too ordinary, you're too old, you're too young. Was Moses too old? Was Jeremiah too young? Was Deborah the wrong sex? Was Mary too young? Let me tell you, as great as that clip is, as wonderful as it is, as amazing as those three judges are, you have three people standing before you tonight, three personalities. And when they look at you, they say, yes, yes, yes. One is the Father, one is the Son, and one is the Holy Spirit. It is time for us It is time for us to think more about our futures than our past, more about the mission of God than what people think, more about saving and changing and transforming the world than maintaining buildings and running programs and being respectable. It's time for us to stop saying, I had a dream, that my life would be different from this hell I'm living, and start saying, I have a vision of communities and cities and nations and the United Kingdom and Europe and the world transformed by the gospel, transformed by mercy and transformed by grace. And if you forget everything that I say to you, if you forget me, you've lost nothing. But if you forget that you're loved, if you forget that God's grace is powerful enough to leach into your life and renew you, then you're forgetting everything. I want to invite you to stand with me if you are able. And I want to lead you in a prayer, then a response. Vicky, A <laughs> couple of bits to this response. I have in my hand a mobile. There's a number going to appear on the screen behind me. Hopefully this will start beeping in a moment. I want you to text, not your name. I want you to text the name of somebody you know needs to know this somebody in your church, somebody in your community that needs to know that they matter, that needs to know that God is strong enough to reach into their lives, even though they feel either exhausted or useless. I want you to text me their number. And as you hear this beeping, remember, it probably represents 5, 10, or 15 people. Text, name after name of men and women, boys and girls, that you know need to understand and know God's grace. Can you hear it? It's beeping away in my hand. It's vibrating and vibrating and vibrating. I've got 18 messages in 10 seconds. Will you keep texting? There's another one. Can you put that beside a, will this mic work? Here, can we put it beside a mic? Let me clear the ones that we've got. Okay, somebody put that beside a mic. Thank you. name after name, listen to those beeps. They're not just beeps, they're people. They're Susan Doyle's, they are John Smith's, they're Margaret Mead's, they're Malcolm Duncan's, they're Ian Coffey's, they might be Billy Graham's for all we know of the future. Who gives us the right to tell people that they're worthless or useless? I wrote a liturgy today that I want to invite you to respond to. I want it to keep beeping, I want you to hear this. Men and women that we're crying out to God for, but these responses are for you. You need to take that number down because it's going to disappear from the screen in a moment. Now, I want to lead you in a liturgy. The words in red we'll say together, the words in black I will read to you. It changes halfway through. Watch carefully, and we're going to respond to God and His grace. Do you need renewed? There's space here tonight. Do you need released? told that you've been useless or worthless all your life, tonight's the night to turn the corner, to look up into the face of a father that loves you and say, I am loved. All things are possible. When the pieces of the jigsaw of church don't fit with the reality of life, we've got to get out more. When we feel hemmed in by the walls and the rules and the regulations. When we feel suffocated by the stereotypes and imprisoned by the expectations. When we've forgotten that life is a dance and our memories are more important than our dreams. when we are known for what we oppose instead of what we believe in. When preserving our heritage becomes more important than changing the world. When our hope is blotted out by our cynicism. When the people around us are crying out for life. When God invites us to change the world. When our feet are restless, our hands are itching and our hearts are yearning. When the only thing that matters is that God has sent us and he has promised to go with us. Now this is our declaration of intent. Despite the opposition and all the voices saying it can't happen. We will get out more. When it means letting go of the past and accepting or releasing forgiveness, we will get out more. When it means taking a risk and stepping out in faith, we will get out more. Even when we're exhausted and we feel like we can't take another step, because you send us, we will get out more. With tears in our eyes, faith in our hearts, And the promise of your presence ringing on our ears. We give you our hands and we surrender to your will. Take us where you want us to go and make us what you want us to be. Amen. Give him the greatest, longest, largest round of applause and cheers you have ever given anyone. mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Loves you. We're going to sing a song. Vicki's going to lead us. And as we sing, I want to make one simple request. Do you need renewed? Do you need refreshed? Do you need released from all of that stuff that down through the years people have told you you can't do? Then come. If you are in um, an area of the hall where we can't get to you or you can't get to us or if you are disabled, then we will come to you but I want to invite you to respond to God. The power of God is present here this evening. He's present in all places. My theology is not dodgy, but he invites us to experience him tonight, to respond to him and to allow him to touch us. If you need refresh, then come. Do not leave it until Saturday night. Where is the rule book that says in Spring Harvest the response has to be on Saturday? Night two, night two, you've just settled. Let God break in and unsettle you. Let him touch you. Let him minister to you. And I'm not going to try and persuade you. If I cannot, I cannot convince you if God has not spoken to you. So whoever you are, wherever you are, if you need God to touch you, if you want to say, renew me, I'm exhausted, but I'm coming. Or release me. I've been told all my life I'm no good, but I'm coming. Then come to the left or to the right, and we will pray for you. Father, move in these moments. By the power of your Holy Spirit, invade this tent and change our lives. Come, in the name of Jesus. Don't delay. Don't delay. dally Come. Amen.